You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is Clash of Minds, Episode One, with Walter Fite. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are living in stupendous times, and the times warrant that we study Your Word and find Your purpose and Your will for us. So I pray that you will enlighten us and help us, particularly in the light of the messages which you have called a remnant to give. In Jesus' name, Amen. In the upcoming lectures, we're going to talk about the third angel's message in the context of righteousness by faith, because this issue will be the final issue confronting the world. This will be the final issue that brings about the great decision as to whether one will accept the mark of the beast or not. So it is a life and death issue. We also know that the sign of God is the Sabbath and that it is the opposite of the mark of the beast. And so we need to understand the meaning of the Sabbath. We need to understand what God wants to instill in the Sabbath. Because we are inclined to preach it in the form of works. Keeping the commandment. Being the commandment keeping people. And what if we miss the very essence of righteousness by faith embodied in that message? Because the final message is one that has come before and that has passed us by, and we are on the very verge of the final entry into Canaan. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Verily my Sabbaths you will keep. The Bible is replete with the Sabbath. Six days shalt thou work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be to you a holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whosoever doeth work therein shall be put to death. Scary stuff. Leviticus 23 verse 3, Six days shall your work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. So the Sabbath commandment is a very serious commandment, and in the, in the Old Testament times, in the times of Israel, if you didn't obey the Sabbath, you were put to death. So is God being a hard taskmaster, or can we rephrase that? Can we rephrase it as follows? Seeing that God doesn't want anyone to perish, and God is love, and in the light of the cross, do we have a license to rephrase it? Let's rephrase it in this way. Remember the Sabbath. To keep it holy. To do all your work. But the Sabbath is a holy convocation unto the Lord in all your dwellings. Because the Sabbath is the reminder of where you come from and it is the reminder of where you are going and how I have recreated you or want to recreate you. If you choose against this ordinance you are choosing against life 
and the consequence to you will be death. Can we rephrase it like that? The mark of the beast, those who accept the mark of the beast get the most terrible consequences upon themselves. And so this is a, this is a life and death issue. The Sabbath embodies something very, very important. Deuteronomy 5 says the Sabbath day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it you shall not do any work. Thou nor thy son nor thy daughter nor thy manservant nor thy maidservant nor thy ox nor thy ass nor anyone or any of the cattle or stranger within your gates that thy manservant and maidservant may rest as well as thou. And in Psalms 95, from verse 8, we read, Harden not your heart as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long I was grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. And to whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. So this is the Sabbath of the Lord, your God. And if we err in our hearts and we stray from God, we shall not enter into the rest. Now the Sabbath, where was it instituted? In Eden. It was instituted in Eden. And what part did Adam and Eve play in the creation? None. They didn't even exist until the end of the sixth day. When they arrived on the scene, everything was done. All the animals were there, the planet was there, the stars were there. Everything was perfect. Everything was there. So what could they do on that first Sabbath day? What did they have to rest from? Why did they rest? Were they tired? Obviously not. They hadn't done a stitch of work. So tired they couldn't have been. And why did God rest? God rested in his creation. He found rest. Now we've discussed this many times before, and that's a very important point. In Psalms 8, we find that he finds rest from his enemies. Now, who are his enemies? Satan and his angels. And here is this creation that is to find rest in him. Rest in what? Rest in his completed work of creation. Now, when it comes to recreation, after man has fallen, and we must find rest in God, if Adam and Eve did not contribute one iota, to the creation process, then how much can they contribute to the recreation process? Nothing. Nothing. In fact, they are dead in transgression. And we are all dead in transgression. And somebody who is dead cannot contribute anything. So righteousness by faith is resting in a completed work that God 
has wrought without any contribution by myself. So if we cannot enter into his rest, it means that we have not grasped the significance of the Sabbath. We haven't understood what it means in its context. We haven't understood what it means to accept his righteousness and his completed work as a gift from God. This is a very, very important issue. Man always wants to contribute. And ever since Cain and Abel fell, these two religions have run parallel on this planet. One assuming to find salvation in works, and one assuming to find salvation by faith in the blood of the Lamb. Two religions. And God and Satan have been at war regarding this issue ever since he fell and was removed from heaven. We pick up the same theme in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 3. From verse 9, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works, 40 years. Whose works? God's works. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their hearts. Again, we have the same thing as in Psalms. And they have not known my ways. So he's quoting Psalms. So the problem is we err in our hearts, in our thinking, in our cognitive perception of the plan of salvation. We don't understand the plan of salvation because there's an enemy that wants to instill another mindset. In fact, this is a clash of minds. That's all it is. A massive clash of minds. I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So they don't understand God. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you with an evil heart of unbelief in the departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. So keep the Sabbath or you will die. You will surely die. Or keep the Sabbath or the consequence will be that you will die. But what does it mean to keep the Sabbath? Keeping the Sabbath means being confederate with God. Keeping the Sabbath is having a relationship with God. What happened on the first day when Adam and Eve had come forth and the Sabbath had come? What happened on that first Sabbath? Wasn't it a, a relationship that was formed there? Didn't God introduce himself to his new creation? Didn't they see that it was a loving God who had prepared this wonderful place for them? Weren't they led through the garden 
And God explained to them the relationship that he wanted with them. Didn't he create them in the image of God, in the very character of God? Obviously. So the Sabbath, more than anything else, stands for relationship. Because when you have a relationship, you spend time with someone. You are confederate with someone. You have a heart-to-heart chat with someone. And if there is love, then there is a bond which is supposed to be eternal. Isn't that correct? So the Sabbath stands for relationship. And when God wants to recreate us, if he wants to recreate this fallen human being with this evil propensity, then he has to again do it through relationship. Because command doesn't bring a relationship. But obedience must be a response to love rather than a command and an obedience to authority. Because that's what relationships are all about. So man has perverted this knowledge of God. So when we preach the Sabbath, what are we preaching? Are we preaching obedience to the Ten Commandments? And there's one you guys miss. But we, we keep the Sabbath. We, we are people of the book. We keep the Ten Commandments. And the Sabbath is the fourth commandment. And we're going to keep it. And you guys are all gone. Is that what God wants us to do? Or does he want to preach essence? Preach heart? Isn't that what he wants to do? Now it's fascinating that Jesus says that he came to give us rest. To find rest in him. And when he came down to earth, most of his miracles, his major mega miracles, were all performed on which day? On the Sabbath day. Now why did he choose the Sabbath day? And why did it incense the Jews that he chose the Sabbath day to perform his miracles? Because they had a form of godliness. They had built up a religious system which elevated those that were in leadership position within these organizations. And the way to God was through their system. Do we have similar things in the world today? And people are tired, or tired is probably not the right word. People long for immediate gratification. They want instant religion. They want experiential religion. And so today the world is replete with this kind of religion. Instant gratification. But the way of faith is one that people seem to shun. So we come to John chapter 5. And I'm going to read from verse 1. After this there was a feast of the Jews... And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in Hebrew tongue Bethesda, 
having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Now, as you know, probably, the newer translations leave that verse out. Because it seems such an improbable verse. It's probably added. It's probably not supposed to be there, is their argument. But it's in the received text. And God saw fit to give the reformers the received text to translate. So I'm going to read it. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in and was made whole of whatever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had infirmity thirty and eight years. That's almost a whole generation. Lying at this pool, and it says there was a great multitude, and they were all sick people. Some were blind, some were halt, some were this, some were that. And here's this poor man lying there for 38 years, waiting for the water to move. And when Jesus saw him lie, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Now when you come to this word whole, do you think it's just speaking about his physical body? Or do you think it is his entire being that God wants to transform and make whole? How does God recreate a human being? Partially or completely? Completely. Okay. Do you want to be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Now, how many people were there? What did the Bible say? A great multitude. This was the religious system. This was the religious system. Do you think that the scribes and the Pharisees with their robes were strolling past some of these people there as well. Do you think so? Do you think they were perhaps in a, in a sort of a, a church setting almost? This was their faith system. They could have been corrected by the scribes and the Pharisees, but for 38 years, this seems to have been the religion of the place. Now, was there an angel that went and stirred the water? Or was it their belief that an angel came and stirred the water. There's a big difference. Now, if it was an angel, and an angel from heaven, that came and stirred the water, then God must have known about it, and then God must have initiated it, and then God must have run with the program and kept to the script, so the logical thing to do would then be for Jesus to say to the man, do you want to be made whole? And the man would say, but I have no one to help me into the water. Yes, but I, I ate my, my breakfast this morning and I've been in the gym 
in the last few months. So I'm going to grab you when this water is stirred, and I'll make sure that you are the first one to be in the water. And we got a deal. And the man says, well, if you can do that for me, that's great. Then I can be healed. And so Jesus picks him up and waits for the water, sprints to the water and gets him into the water. Is that what the Bible says? No. That's not what the Bible says. Do you want to be made whole? I assume he's standing with his back to the pool. The pool's over there somewhere and the man's lying here. And he says, do you want to be made whole? The man says, I have no man. 38 years he's in the church. 38 years he's lying there and he has no one. How many of you have been in church for 38 years and still have no one in the church? Who cares? I have no one. There's no relationship. Nothing. When the water is troubled to put me in the pool, but while I'm coming another steps down before me, Jesus said unto him, you know what? To heck with a stupid pool and to heck with your stupid assumptions that an angel is stirring the water. Get up and walk. You don't have no one. You have someone. Aren't you children of the Most High? Where do you get this stupid religion? What are you doing? Are you exchanging a relationship with the living God for this performance of religion here, this form of religion? When are you going to stop playing religion? When are you going to switch to relationship and stop saying, I have no one. When you have a living God who created you and cares for you and loves you and wants to restore you to what you can be. I want to make you whole. Don't say, I have no one. Always say, I have someone. And I don't have to come to lie down at this pool and believe in some hocus-pocus nonsense. Was it only in those days? that people had hocus-pocus nonsense? Aren't we taught today that it's a good thing to go to Lourdes and to wait for the sun to dance and the Madonna to stir the waters and if I can get into that water, well, maybe I'll be healed? Don't we have the same stupidity today as we had there? And do people spend fortunes to go to these places to be healed? And we have ministers who have pools in their churches. And the people have to come with their crutches. And they have to walk through the water in this particular church so that they can be healed. And they throw their crutches away. And they hobble through the water. And they hobble out the other side and say, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. And the next day they're back on crutches. 38 years of hocus pocus. And they're still hoping to be healed. So do these verses belong in the Bible or don't they belong to, into the Bible? Of course they belong into the Bible. Of course they belong into the Bible because this is the faith that people clung to. This is what they believe. 
They believed in miraculous events that would somehow change the circumstances of their, of their lives. This is playing lottery with religion. And it's the religion of the few. It's not the religion of everyone. Because only those that can get to the pool in the first place, and the pool might be on the other side of the earth, qualify for this lottery. I have no one. I've been in this church for 38 years, and I have no relationship with you. Do you want to be made whole? What day was it? The Sabbath. The day of relationship. This is what religion is about. And immediately after Jesus said to him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. He didn't take him to the pool. He bypassed the stupidity of religious systems and struck at the heart of the relationship problem. Immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And the same day was the Sabbath. The link is not to be missed. And the Jews therefore said unto him, that was cured, it is the Sabbath day, it is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered, he that made me whole. The same said unto me, take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, what man is that which said unto thee, thou shalt not go to Lourdes to go into the dancing sun's water? Do you know how much money we make in this process? What man is this that said, take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away. A multitude being in that place. A what? A multitude. This is the religion of multitudes. This is the religion of multitudes. What message must we convey when we preach the Sabbath? away from form of religion, away from the type of religion that is the religion of lottery. Afterwards, Jesus found them in the temple and said to him, Thou art made whole, sin no more. Takes him back to the what? To the law of God. Because? Sin is the transgression of the law. Lest the worst thing come unto thee. Now if God is the God of a relationship, did he just leave him after he asked him, do you want to be made whole? No. He went and looked for him. Who went and looked for him? Jesus went and looked for him. And he found him. And he pointed him to the law of God. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. The world is just as unprepared to accept a God of relationship as was Cain in the Garden of Eden. He wants to 
achieve it through his works, and he wants it done through miracles. But he doesn't want God to make him whole, to transform his character, to change his entire being. And then it says that they wanted to kill him. So they persecuted Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. This is the God who does the work. We are the ones who are to accept it. Just as little as this man who lay there for 38 years could contribute one iota, just as little can we contribute one iota to being made whole. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. This is a very important story. Every single verse needs to be there because if we remove a verse, we misunderstand the entire point of the story. From a religious system which is just as powerful and alive today as it was then, to a religious system of a personal relationship with God embodied and symbolized in the Sabbath day, the God of relationships. So when we find Jesus in Luke chapter 6, passing on the Sabbath day through the cornfield with his disciples and eating the, the wheat and rubbing it through their hands and eating it. What, what is this Jesus doing with his disciples? He's walking with them. He's talking to them. He's eating with them. And do you eat with just anybody? Do you go up to someone in the street, excuse me, can I come and eat with you? Obviously not, right? So if you eat with someone, it means you have a what with that person? relationship. This is relationship. And the Pharisees, they said it's not lawful to do this on the Sabbath day. And Jesus answered them and said, you have not read so much as this, what David did when himself was hungered and they were with him. The Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. If we understand the essence of the Sabbath, we will not be works-based Seventh-day Adventists. We will be relationship-based Seventh-day Adventists. We will not keep the law to be saved. We will keep the law because he saved us. Now, the story gets to be very fascinating. Because just thereafter, Luke chapter 6, verse 6, he'd just been through the cornfields, he'd just been rebuked because of what he did on the Sabbath day. It says here, and it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught there, and there was a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, 
that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man who had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he rose and stood forth, and said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing, is it lawful on the Sabbath day to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And looking around about them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And then it says, They were filled with madness and communed with one another for what they might do to Jesus. They were beside themselves with fury. Now if we look at the story typologically, Do we have people in our church with withered right arms? I think our right arm is withered in more ways than one. We are impotent and hamstrung in the work that we do. And God wants to set the record straight on which day? On the Sabbath day. There's something else that's linked to the right hand of the gospel or the right arm of the gospel. And that is the entire question of the physical as well as the spiritual side, the health message. And it's hamstringing many people because God wants to make you whole, not just mentally, also physically. And so he chooses these particular scenarios which have a typological message for our day as well. But the Pharisees were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do. If we have a religion of relationship, a personal, individual relationship with God, then the hierarchical system in terms of salvation would be totally destroyed. The priesthood would fall apart in terms of salvational issues. The only function left would be the structure and the coordination of church business. But that special role that everyone wants, that elevated position of importance, would disappear because everybody has the relationship. So they were filled with madness. And then we read in Luke chapter 13 verse 10, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman with a spirit of infirmity 18 years. And she was bowed together and could in no wise lift herself up. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Now what does a woman stand for? It stands for a church. Do you think today we have a church that is bowed out under and cannot even straighten herself up? Do you think our church is suffering and hamstrung because we've lost the essence 
of what it means to have a relationship with a living God. And we've fallen into forms and rituals and spiritual formations and funny little things that we try to do to see if God still accepts us or not. Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Why would he choose the Sabbath day to loose her from this infirmity? Isn't there a message in that? And he laid his hands on her. This is a personal God. This is a personal God. And immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. If we want to be made whole, and we want to be made whole on the Sabbath day, and the Sabbath day stands for relationship with God, and if we want to be straight and be able to look up and glorify God, then we must understand God's work, we must understand his character, and we must understand what it means to have a relationship with him. And what happened? The rulers of the synagogue answered with indignation. They love a stagnant church. They love it. Because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, there are six days on which a man ought to work. In them therefore come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Do they understand what a relationship is about? And the Lord answered him and said, thou hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound low these 18 years, be loosed from her bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all these adversaries were ashamed and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things which were done by him. It's interesting that immediately thereafter, there come a few lessons from, from Jesus. He says the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed. And it's a tiny little seed, but eventually it grows into a, a massive tree. The kingdom of God is like leaven, which a woman puts into a lump of dough. And before you know it, the whole thing is leavened. The tree stands for an individual, and the woman stands for the church. And what we are supposed to do is to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to grow in our relationship. We're supposed to understand his mindset. And we can only do that if we walk with him, if we talk with him, if we tell him our innermost pains and our innermost joys, if we share with him as with a friend. That's the only way in which we can do it. And then he says, strive to enter into the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter it and shall not be able. Hypocrisy and relationship are as far removed from each other as the East is from the West. 
Luke chapter 14, verse 1. And it came to pass, as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answered, answering spoke unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. They didn't answer him. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And answered them, saying, Which of you has an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him. And he put forth a parable to those who were bidden, when he marked how they chose out the chief room, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest rooms, etc., etc. Why do these people want to have forms of religion? Why do they want that people must come to their particular location in order to be healed? Isn't God's church supposed to be a universal church? Isn't God everywhere? Is he not omnipresent? Do I have to be in a very specific place in order to find a relationship with God? Or can I find a relationship with God anywhere? And nobody is greater than anyone else in the church. And what does this man have that had dropsy? Dropsy means he had water retention. So his fingers were probably all swollen. He was all puffy. He probably had a serious heart condition. He probably couldn't walk three meters without huffing and puffing and trying to catch his breath. The man had a heart problem. And he needed his heart to be healed. And these are the stories that we find happening on the Sabbath day. Now we've dealt with the one of the blind man, but it, it's another principle that we want to bring out here. Jesus heals the man who was born blind. He was born blind. You know the story. He takes the clay puts it on the eyes, and he sends him away to a pool called Siloam, which means apostello, to be an apostle, to be sent. And they find this blind man suddenly washing his eyes, and he can see. Now the clay, God last used clay, where? In the Garden of Eden. So in the Garden of Eden, he took clay and he formed man. And here was a man born blind. And that's us. We're all born blind. So in the recreation, he takes the clay and he puts it on the eyes. And he says, go and wash. Symbolizing baptism. An act of obedience. And when he washed, then he could see... Apostello, he was sent to go and witness. His friends see him. They say, this can't be you, you can see. They says, no, it's me. 
But he doesn't know who healed him because he was blind. So he ends up with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees say to him, this man must be a sinner because he healed you on the Sabbath day. This must be a sinner, he says, whether he was a sinner or not. <laughs> I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. So he witnesses to them about Jesus. They call his parents. They ask the parents. The parents are scared of this hierarchical system. So eventually, they ask them, is this your son? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes. How did he, how come he can see now? I don't know. Ask him. He's old enough. He can tell you. So, this man is a sinner and he healed you on the Sabbath. How did he do it? I've told you before. Why do you want to ask me again? Do you want to become his disciples? And that's enough to make any of them blow a gasket. So they throw him out. And they come. And Jesus comes and fetches, comes to him outside. He said to them, Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Then answered and said to him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. And Jesus heard that he had cast, been cast out, and when he had found him, he said unto him again, just as in all the other cases, what does Jesus do? He goes and finds him. Will he not do the same for us? And he says, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Now the new translations change that again and change it to, Dost thou believe in the Son of Man? Now I know that Jesus called himself the Son of Man and I know that Jesus called himself the Son of God because he was fully man and he was fully God. But in this context where he takes clay and he makes a man that was born blind to see. What is the issue here? His humanity or his divinity? Obviously his divinity. So I, just by pure logic, I have to run with the received text again and say, this must be the right one. Dost thou believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him. Who is he? What did the man at the other pool say? I have no man. And Jesus says, you have no man? And you've been in this church for 38 years? And you've been lying here waiting for the waters to be moved for some weird miracle and someone always beats you to it? Do you think, I, do you, do you think the God that you serve is running a race with crippled and blind people crawling around? Or does this God that you serve want a relationship with you? So here again, he searches him out. And then he says to him, and Jesus answered and said, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. Fascinating. What happened when Jesus was sitting at a well, Jacob's well, and a 
woman from Samaria came by, what did he do to her? He talked to her. Nobody else wanted to talk to her. They were despised. He talked to her. So Jesus talked to this man. Jesus talked to all of the others. Jesus followed them all individually and personally. And now he's totally changed. They have to go to some airy fairy minister in order to get into contact with Jesus. Hello, could you please put me in contact with the man called Jesus? Can I come to your church and walk through your bubbly water? Can I go to your church perhaps and find him in your bubbly water? And so I am dependent upon these human instrumentalities to find a relationship with God. And that is very gratifying to all those who are involved with this kind of religion. And that kind of religion would fall apart in its entirety if people chose to have a personal relationship with God. The whole system would collapse as it is run today. And when he had discovered that he was talking to him, he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were there heard him say these words and said unto him, are we blind also? And Jesus said unto them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. What is our message when we preach the third angel's message? Keep the letter of the law. You're missing one in ten. You get all your ducks in a row, you'll be okay, Jack. Is that what we're preaching? Or are we preaching, do you know God? Do you know your creator? Do you know your recreator? Do you know the one who died for you and loved you and loves you now, even though you are a sinner and far away? Do you want to be made whole? Do you have no one and wish to meet someone? Let me introduce you to the God of the Sabbath who can do this for you. But now it's fascinating how the story unfolds. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him. If you want to retain that kind of religion, you better kill him. You better kill him. For they feared the people, and then Satan entered into Judas, named Iscariot, and he went and betrayed Jesus. He had ulterior motives. He didn't want Jesus to die. He wanted to twist Jesus' arm so that he would reveal himself as the Messiah so that he could have the position of authority at the right hand of God. That's the same mindset of everyone else who wants the highest position. And this position means that you have the opposite mindset of your creator because that's the mindset of the adversary. And so they wanted to kill him. 
So they arrest him. And they drag him to the court of the Sanhedrin. And it's night. It's dark. And they know that the next day is the preparation. They have one day to get this thing done because the Sabbath is the next day and they don't want to break the Sabbath. Sabbath is very important. You have to keep the Sabbath. So we better get this quick, done quick. We can't afford to waste hours tomorrow morning on a trial. We better hold the trial at night. But that's illegal, but we'll just do it. So they hold the night trial. And their law says it has to be day when you can actually have a trial. So they wait for the daylight after having him found him guilty. And early in the morning, when that first ray of light beams in, it says, and as soon as it was day, 22, verse 66 in Luke, as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into the council saying, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I also ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. And then he says, hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. That's very similar to what Stephen would say later on. Then said they all, art thou the Son of God? Because this is the issue. Art thou the Son of God? Did they have enough witnesses to show that he was the Son of God? Over and over and over again, God had revealed himself to them. He had sent them miracle after miracle, even a blind man, born blind. And they still didn't recognize that he was the one who was the God of relationships. Art thou the Son of God? And he said to them, you say that I am. And they said, what need we need of further witnesses? For we ourselves have heard out of his own mouth and the whole multitude of them rose and led him unto Pilate. The whole multitude. So how long did that trial take? Three sentences. Got to get it over quick. It's preparation day. Now we've got to get him to Pilate and we've got to get Pilate to condemn him to death. We've got to kill him before the Sabbath day. And Pilate sends him to Herod. You know how frustrating that is? What's wrong with the man? Vacillating. Why doesn't he make a decision? Sentence him to death. No, he sends him to Herod. Herod mocks him and pushes him around and soldiers play with him. And eventually he goes back to Pilate. And they say, we have no king except Caesar. And we're going to come back to that verse many, many times. There is no king for us except Caesar. And in that one statement, they reject the Son of God. His blood be upon us and our descendants, our children. They reject him as a nation. I think the time is very near when the world is going to say, we have no king 
except Caesar, who sits on the throne in Rome. And when the world makes that decision, which is imminent, they will have reached exactly the same point that the Jews reached then. Exactly the same position. And just thereafter, probation closed. We're living in fascinating times. Jesus is hanging on the cross. It was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. Did they have more evidence at their disposal? But time's running out. It's getting to be the sixth hour. What are we going to do now? We've got to keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath is coming quickly. This pilot took so long and he sent him to Herod and then he still argued with us and now time's running out. Don't break the bones. Got to keep the Sabbath. Don't smash their bones. Break them. Break them. When Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. So when they came to break the bones, he was already dead. So they didn't do it. But the centurion, who saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. What kind of religion do you have when you say, go and break their bones so that we can keep the Sabbath? Because if those people climb down and it's the Sabbath day and we have to catch them, we'll be breaking the Sabbath. We don't want to do that. We're good Sabbath keepers. And then the story reaches a climax. Luke chapter 23, verse 54. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. Shoo, we managed to destroy them just in time. So we can keep the Sabbath. And when even was come, Mark chapter 15, verse 42, and now when even was come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead and didn't believe it. So he called the centurion. And he asked him whether he had been dead for a while. And when he knew it, of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And he was buried. And now it's the evening, and the Sabbath has come. Joseph, who was one of the Sanhedrin, had taken the body of Jesus. Nicodemus who was in the Sanhedrin, had supplied the spices and what was necessary for the quick burial. There was a massive division in the Sanhedrin. And people were talking to the Pharisees and the scribes 
and saying, the sun was darkened. There was a massive earthquake. The lamb escaped from the hand. The, tur- the curtain rent from top to bottom. And what does it say here in Isaiah chapter 53? Was he not perhaps the son of God? What about the prophecies? He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was killed amongst criminals. Where is his offspring? What do these prophecies mean? And they must have been under tremendous pressure. And I can imagine the sweat running down their brows. I don't think they slept very well that night. Matthew 27 verse 62. Now the next day that followed the day of preparation. What day is that? That's the Sabbath day. That's incredible. This is the Sabbath day. Now the new translations will actually say Sabbath day. Sometimes they get something right. Now the next day that followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate. This is incredible. This is the Sabbath day. They smashed the legs in order to keep the Sabbath day. They made Jesus go through a night trial in order to break their own constitution so that they could keep the Sabbath day. And now it is the Sabbath day and they run to Pilate, saying, Sir. Now, interesting thing is they must have called him out because they couldn't defile themselves with this man. When Pilate had gone into the praetorium, they didn't follow, they stayed outside because they would have defiled themselves going into that. So they called Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. It's fascinating that they remembered it and the disciples didn't. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest the disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, he is risen from the dead, so that the last error shall be worse than the first. Go and secure the tomb. Now Pilate was tired of the Jews. They'd harassed him. His wife had written him letters and told him, have nothing to do with that righteous man. He wrote a sign, said Jesus, the king of the Jews. They said, don't write that, please. Don't, don't write that. Say, say he claimed to be the king of the Jews. What I've written, I've written. So here they are again, clamoring for something. Go and make it secure. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, he is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, you have a watch. Go your way. Make it sure as you can. What did he say to them? I'm not going to do it. 
you do it. That's what he said. And so they went and made the sepulchre sure. What did they do? They broke the Sabbath. They broke the Sabbath. Do you think it could happen to good Sabbath keepers willing to smash legs, bend rules in order to keep the Sabbath day, that they could all become Sabbath breakers? Do you think it's possible? If your religion is a religion of works based on the letter of the law, you will become a Sabbath breaker. It's guaranteed. But now it's interesting. So they went to make the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. What did they seal the stone with? With the Roman seal. They put the Roman seal across it and they put a Roman guard at the entrance of the tomb to make sure that Jesus wasn't going to rise again. Could the Roman seal keep Jesus in the tomb? No. No. The Bible says he rose from the dead and those gods fell like dead men. He couldn't be kept in the tomb. Is there another seal of Rome that will try and prevent us to be part of the resurrected with Christ? I believe the time is coming and that time is coming very sure, soon, when the Sabbath will be the final issue. Because the Sabbath is the seal of God, and the Sabbath is the symbol of the relationship of resting in the completed works of God. It is the symbol of righteousness by faith. And if we have a relationship, no seal of Rome will keep us from the heavenly realm. But even if we are the best of Sabbath keepers and we have a form of religion, we will not see the kingdom of God because we will be Sabbath breakers. Because the essence of the Sabbath is relationship. Peter says, Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And if we drop down to verse 17, it says, in 2 Peter 3. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. 
to him be glory both now and forever. Grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the only way to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ is to learn everything we can learn about his character. And it's all written in this book. And when we read it, and we accept it by faith, then we enter into the rest of his completed works. He finds us. He restores us. He looks us up. He points us to the law. He walks with us. He has a relationship with us. And this is true religion undefiled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, have we dishonored you in the way we preach the Sabbath? Have we been Pharisees? Have we pointed to ritual rather than relationship? Have we found rest in your completed work? Or are we lingering at pools of troubled waters? Feed us with living water so that we may live in you. In Jesus' name, amen. If this episode impacted you, please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit AmazingDiscoveries.org. And, as always, you can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.